morning, everyone. Whether you are here in Drosty Hall or you're joining us online, uh, my name is Aaron, a lead pastor here at Riverwood, and really, really glad you are here. Warburg students, welcome back. Uh, I, I'm glad you guys made it. Wasn't totally sure that uh, you guys were going to get to have school, uh, and hopefully you actually get to go the whole semester. Uh, we'll have to see how this goes. Uh, and welcome everyone else. So glad you've uh, joined us uh, on, in the middle of a pandemic uh, that you have d made the choice to, to use your Sunday morning, whether to come in person or join us online uh, to, to worship Jesus and to do this together. Uh, before I get going with this morning's message, I just want to make a couple of announcements. Uh, if you are, uh, well, first of all, our announcements are located online. Just go to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash notes rw for riverwood so make that n capital and the uh, rw capital and you can pull those up on your phone and uh, see our announcements for today uh, just a couple things i want to highlight um if you are a first-time guest with us uh welcome really really glad you're here uh whether you're you're here in person or you're joining us online we donate five dollars to compassionate international for every single first-time guest who lets us know that they've they've attended so if you're here in person if you would just use that connection card there should be some scattered around there was one per row you can use that just put on there your name your address whatever you're comfortable sharing with us uh if you're joining us online we just ask that you simply send us an email to riverwood at we are riverwood.org and what we will do is we will donate five dollars to compassion international on your behalf uh, compassion is an organization that has a goal of releasing children from poverty in Jesus's name. They work through local churches all around the world and uh, help provide kids with uh, education, with clothing, with food, and they do it through a local church and give these kids every opportunity to learn about Jesus. So we'd love to make just a small difference in the life of a child by uh, honoring your presence with us today. So if you're willing to do that, uh, here at Drosty Hall, just drop those connection cards in our basket on your way out, or if you are joining us online, just send us that email anytime today, and we would love to do this on your behalf. Uh, also, this fall, uh, we are starting up our growth groups. Uh, growth groups are, uh, have been, been going. We typically take uh, the uh, summer off, but because of the pandemic and just... Uh we just wanted to make sure we stayed connected. Most of our groups have continued. So now is a perfect time, especially as we get past uh, Labor Day. We'd love to see you join up with a group or help us start a new group. Uh, as we've continued to grow a little bit as a church, we realize that maybe Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday nights won't work. So we'd love to start maybe a Thursday night group or maybe a Sunday afternoon group. Um, so if, if Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday doesn't work for you, then would you let us know, like, hey, here's the time that does work. And uh, we've got some people that uh, are interested in helping start a new group, and so we'd love to, to start that. Or we'd love to just have you join any of our groups. Our groups are not based on age, demographics, or any of that. Any of our groups would welcome any of you at any time, whatever time works best. Our groups just simply want to get together. We tend to study uh, the scriptures together. We pray for one another, encourage each other as we set, uh, head out. It just uh, takes about an hour, hour and a half uh, time of your week, but we really want to help you follow Jesus. We are convinced at Riverwood that what our world needs are people who will love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. And so our growth groups are just one small way for us to try to accomplish that mission. So we'd love to have you get involved. So simply send us an email or uh, use your connection card. Just write on there whatever time works, uh, and we will do our best to get you connected to the growth group leader uh, or help you start a, a new group. All right. Well, uh, today we get to continue on in our series in Mark, and um, I'm really excited this week because 
uh, the Christopher Nolan movie Tenet is coming out. Uh, those of you who know me know that I love movies, and uh, Christopher Nolan is probably my favorite director. And so I am super excited. I already have tickets. Uh, Lan and I are going to a pre-showing. Uh, that's how eager I am to see this movie. Like, I don't care if I have to wear a plastic biohazard suit to go. I am going to be there in person to watch this movie. In fact, I've intentionally stayed away from any synopsis. I don't want to know anything about it so I can just be along for the ride. I'm so excited. But I started looking and trying to analyze why is it that I really like Christopher Nolan movies? Well, I think it's because most of his movies kind of make you think a little bit, like Inception or Interstellar. They've got a little sci-fi twist to them, like Interstellar or maybe, you know, the Batman trilogy. There's action in them. Those are all the genres that I like. But that made me think, realize, like, there are genres of movies that I, I don't really like. Like, I, I'm not really into rom-coms. Uh, you know, I, I love to laugh, but a, a raunchy comedy? It's just not my cup of tea. Uh, you know, I, I like really weird experimental films. That they have those, those I don't really get either. Um, but probably the genre I've avoided the most in my life is horror. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand. I actually like suspenseful movies. Like, I actually thought A Quiet Place uh, was, was pretty good. I, surprisingly, I was really surprised at how much I actually loved the original Cloverfield movie. Uh, some people would call that horror, but to me it was just like a suspenseful movie. But I also am not, like, shying away from anything that has, like, you know, blood or violence. Like, last year I watched 1917, and it was the best movie of the entire year. And yet there were some really hard scenes in it. You know, when I say I don't like horror movies, I'm talking, like, slasher films. All right? Like, my life is just fine without Freddy Krueger in it. Okay? I, I don't need to watch Paranormal Activity in order to, to, like, have those chills and feel good or something. To me, that's just weird. That's not me. The reason I bring this up is this, because if you're like me, you're not into horror films, you might be a little uncomfortable with today's passage. Because Mark sets this up like a B-level horror film. All right, we're going to have a demon-possessed man in a cemetery. We're going to hear chains rattling, the screams of wild men. We're even going to see mass murder. All right, so now, moms and dads, trust me, your kids are not going to go home with nightmares tonight. In fact... I hope that all of you walk away today really, really encouraged, and that you walk away today actually wanting to love your fellow humans. That's what I'm really hoping you walk away with today. I, I was shocked at how today's passage really speaks into the day and age that we find ourselves in, and I want you to walk away realizing what we are called to do, and that is to love people like Jesus would love them and live among them as he would. So if you brought a Bible, I invite you to open it up to Mark chapter 5. Mark 5. We're going to be doing Mark 5, 1 through 20 today. Uh, if you are a first-time guest, I'm going to have the scripture up on the screen, so you're going to be able to read along with us. If you're not quite sure where Mark is, though, and you have a Bible, whether on your smartphone or a paper copy, that's the second book in the New Testament, so we invite you to, to navigate there. If you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to download one to your phone and feel free to use that or go old school like me and get a paper copy. And if you just don't have a paper copy of the Bible at all, send us your, your uh, address and we will mail you a paper copy so that you can have one and make it your everyday Bible. Uh, as we get ready to read verses 1 through 20, let me pray. Well, Heavenly Father, uh, as we come to this really bizarre story, at least what seems really bizarre in our 21st century minds, I pray that you would speak loud and clear to us that we would hear what you want us to hear, 
that no matter where we are at in our political ideologies, that no matter where we're at in our uh, religious background, no matter where we're at in our marital status or in our age or, or school status, that you would speak to us, that we would hear loud and clear your call to follow Jesus, to love people, and may you do it through this passage today. So God, would you please be our teacher? And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, would you please silently read along as I read aloud Mark 5, 1 through 20. Well, they came to the other side of the sea. Uh, by the way, the they there is Jesus and his disciples. Last week we saw them get into a boat. They went through a storm. Jesus calmed the storm. Now they've come to the other side. All right, so Jesus and his disciples came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he, Jesus, was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. And so he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And, oh, entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Well, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man who had, who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. Now, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. To be completely honest with you, uh, I sat down this week, opened up my preaching calendar, saw my passage for this week. I opened up my Bible, I began reading it, and I immediately thought, oh Lord, why do I have to teach this? Because this is weird. I, in our 21st century world, to talk about demon possession is just weird. All right, we've got this crazy guy, we've got this weird conversation that takes place, and then we've got the weird reaction of the people. Right? Jesus does this miracle, and yet they're scared, and they want him to, to leave. And so I, I found myself just like asking God, like, what in the world am I supposed to get out of this to like share with people to help disciple them so that they could follow Jesus? And so I honestly, I just, I wanted to skip it. But because I'm convinced that God wrote the scriptures through these human authors, that he put their things in there for us. And so that means we can't just skip something that maybe we're a little uncomfortable with. That we've got to stop and say, okay, what is it we need to get out of this? 
And as I began to stop and really read and study, you know, consulting commentaries and praying, I really began to notice something beautiful and powerful. And it spoke directly to the day and age that we find ourselves in. But for us to appreciate the beauty and power of today's passage, we first have to see what it is that Mark is trying to do. And what he's doing is he's setting up an epic battle between Jesus and these demons. Uh, last uh, February, before sports ended up being canceled, uh, the Super Bowl took place. And the uh, game featured the San Francisco 49ers against the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs came in as probably the, the greatest offense of the, in the NFL, and the 49ers were coming in with probably the best defense out of the NFL that year. Well, there's an old adage in football that offense wins games, but defense wins championships. And so people were curious what was going to happen. Would this high-powered offense win the game, or would we see the champions be the 49ers based on their defense? And after three quarters, it seemed pretty obvious. Defense wins championships. The 49ers held the Kansas City Chiefs to their lowest point total after three quarters. The Chiefs only had 10 points. San Francisco was winning 20 to 10. They just had to go one more quarter and the, the championship was theirs. But then that fourth quarter happened. Uh, the Chiefs went on to score 21 points in one quarter, win the game 31 to 20, and became the champions. And people called it an epic battle. That's kind of what Mark is doing here. He's trying to set up this epic battle where you got Jesus on offense coming to, to throw these demons out and these demons starting to play defense. But we've already seen Jesus kick out a demon once, and he just did it like that. Just a word. So Mark wants to see this battle, it's a little different. This battle, these demons, they're prepared. They've got a game plan. They're ready to play defense. All right, so look at it with me. The first thing is they have home field uh, advantage. Uh, it says there that they, uh, um, when Jesus, in verse 2, when Jesus steps out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. All right, so this is taking place in a cemetery, the place of the dead. Uh, many of G Mark's readers would have heard this, and, and the hair on their neck would probably start standing up. They get those, those chills. Like this, this begins to set the stage for this horror film. But not only is it taking place in a cemetery, it's taking place in the garrisons. The garrisons was a Gentile region. So any of Mark's Jewish readers would have started to get really, really uncomfortable because Jews had nothing to do with Gentiles. We'll talk about that a little more later. Uh, to be completely open and honest with you, that there's a little bit of, I guess you could say, controversy, question of whether or not this really took place in the garrisons. See, the garrisons were a Gentile region about 30 miles southeast of the Sea of Galilee. So kind of far from the sea. So some people have questions about that. Matthew, when he tells this story, he says it takes place in the Gadarenes. Well, that makes a little more sense since that's closer. It's only about eight miles away from the sea. But it still leaves in some question of, okay, so what body of water then did these pigs drown in? It turns out there's just a few manuscripts that have the word the Gergesenes. Turns out the Gergesenes was a small little village right on this, the uh, coastline of the Sea of Galilee. And topographically, it fits what Mark, uh, what Mark is describing here. But the more reliable manuscripts have the word Gerasenes. But honestly, it doesn't matter. Whether it's Gerasenes, Gadarenes, or Gergesenes, it's all a Gentile region, which would make any Jewish readers immediately uncomfortable. This is like demon territory. They have the home field advantage. But not only do they have the home field advantage, they're incredibly strong. Notice there in um, 
verse 4, it talks about how this guy has been bound with shackles and chains, but he's able to wrench the chains apart, and he breaks the shackles to pieces. I mean, we're not just talking like typical bad guy strong. I mean, we're talking like Thanos strong. I mean, like, this guy is like, oh, like, he's not just a typical NFL defense. Like, he's the best defense you've ever seen. This dude is strong. But then notice, he's also scary. It says there in verse uh, 5 that night and day uh, among the tombs and on the mountains, he's crying out. Right? Could you imagine night and day hearing some guy out in the wilderness just yelling, screaming, crying? I mean, that, that alone would be scary. But then it goes on in verse 5 and says he's cutting himself with stones. So he is scarred, he's bleeding. I mean, you can almost imagine the really wild, crazy eyes, the wild hair. I mean, like, you, you even find yourself anywhere near there, and you see this dude, you are hightailing him out there. I mean, this guy's going to scare your children and your puppies, right? You do not want to be anywhere near this guy. But then, Mark does something that our modern ears miss, but it would help his original readers realize just how strong these demons are. It takes place right there in verse 7. And crying out with a loud voice, he, the demon-possessed man, said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Now I want you to stop and think for just a second. This is a demon talking to Jesus, saying, I know who you are, but he goes on and gives a description. He doesn't say, what do you want with me, Jesus? He says, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? He tacks on these clarifiers. And then he doesn't stop there. He says, I adjure you by God. To adjure means to like solemnly plead. Why in the world is a demon pleading to God? All right, let's talk about this. First, why does the demon give these clarifiers and describe Jesus? We saw this back in chapter 1. Uh, if you were with us back in, uh, I think it was uh, kind of late March, we saw Jesus in a synagogue teaching. And while teaching there, this demon-possessed man showed up, and he says, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And Jesus silenced him and kicked him out with nothing but a word. Here again, we see a demon, and he says, Jesus, you are the Son of the Most High God. Why do these guys waste this time giving these clarifiers? Because you see, back in the first century, knowledge was considered power. And if you got into a debate with someone, and you could point out what they believed or who they were before they could say it themselves, it set you up in a stronger position. It was like playing really strong defense. And so by them saying, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, it's supposed to like take away some of his offensive power and build up their defensive power. But then why do the demons say, I adjure you by God? Well, in Jewish exorcisms, Jewish exorcists would often, in talking with a demon-possessed person, try to determine at what rank this demon was. And then they would then appeal to a higher power to kick the demon out. Well, this demon, knowing that Jesus has shown up on the offensive, ready to kick him out, he plays super strong defense. He goes to the highest power he could possibly think of. He goes straight to God. It isn't him basically saying, oh, Jesus, have, have mercy. It's like, ha, gotcha. I adjure you by God. What are you going to do about that? Well, the demon has a problem 
in that as the Son of God, Jesus is God. We know in Christianity that God is a triune God, one God in three persons, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so as God the Son, Jesus has the full rights and authority as God. And so because this demon is possessing a human, and humans bear the image of God, Jesus has the right and authority to kick the demon out and say, basically, that's mine. So Jesus just basically starts looking at the demon, and we've got our epic battle. We've got this demon standing there, holding ground, setting his defense. Jesus opposed to him, getting ready to kick the demons out. Who's going to win? Now, maybe you are pointing out to me, going, well, Aaron, Jesus already tried to kick the demon out, and the demon didn't go. And I, I would say good observation. It's right there in verse 8. For he, Jesus, was saying to the demon-possessed man, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now, in, verse, in chapter 1, when Jesus kicks the demon out, the demon's gone in an instant. But here, Jesus has already said, come out of the man, and the demon basically says, no, I won't. I adjure you by God not to torment me, not to kick me out of the country. He goes on defense. Why, in this chapter, can Jesus not just kick him out with that one sentence? Well, notice what happens in verse 9. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Mark's Roman readers would know that a legion in the Roman army was about 6,000 soldiers along with 120 horsemen. It was considered one of the most powerful units within the Roman army. So when this demon says, my name is Legion, for we are many, He's saying, yeah, there's not just one of us in here, like back in chapter 1. There's not even two. There's not even a couple dozen. There are thousands of us in this man. No wonder this guy is so strong. No wonder this guy is so scary. No wonder when Jesus just simply says, come out of him, they basically can push back. If any of you saw in uh, uh, Avengers Infinity War, there's a scene where Thanos is on this planet and he's fighting Iron Man and Spider-Man and, and Doctor Strange. And there's one scene where all of a sudden Doctor Strange multiplies himself and there's like hundreds of Doctor Stranges all around Thanos. And they all throw this like, I think it was like some purple wine or something to like bind him up. It, that's the idea here. Is suddenly the demon is saying to Jesus, there are thousands of us. You're surrounded. But now the fourth quarter begins look at verse 10 and he the demon-possessed man begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him saying send us to the pigs let us enter them so he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea Mark has set up this epic battle. Thousands of demons facing the one Jesus. They've put him off guard by, by identifying who he is. They've adjured by God the highest power they possibly know. Their defense is set. And then I think of that moment. They're staring at Jesus, and they suddenly realize, why is he smirking? They know they're in trouble. They know, oh, we're not going to win this. We're in trouble. So it's almost like the demons go, oh, oh okay, 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 hang on, hang on, Jesus. Um, right, okay, don't, don't send us out of the country. Uh, hey, tell you what, there's a group of pigs over there. You Jews, you don't like pigs. They're unclean animals. How about you send us unclean spirits into these unclean animals? 
And Jesus says, all right, go ahead. And so they do it. These demons rush into these 2,000 pigs, immediately rush them down a steep bank and take them into the sea where the pigs drown. It was at this point that as I began studying, I something like had something dawn on me. And it's going to be my key point today. That the kingdom of darkness is anti-life, but the kingdom of God is pro-life. Let me say that again. The kingdom of darkness is anti-life, but the kingdom of God is pro-life. Now, some of you who would consider yourself on the political end of the spectrum, on the conservative side, you're sitting there going, amen, yes. Well, hang on. Let me give you some clarity on what I'm actually saying here. First, let's talk at the kingdom of darkness is anti-life. I want you to notice these demons. What was it that they were doing to the guy? They were making his life miserable. The guy is running around screaming. He's in pain. He's cutting himself with stones. Like he is just in constant anguish. They're ruining his life. They are anti-life. And you really see their anti-life stance when they rush into the pigs. Instead of just rushing into the pigs and the pigs just suddenly like act a little crazy. No, they kill them. And they don't just like kill them in an instant. No, they've got to run them down a steep embankment into a sea and have them painfully drown. They've got to make it as painful as possible because the kingdom of darkness is anti-life. Why? Because Satan is absolutely opposed to everything God is for. It's kind of like our political climate. It seems that Republicans and Democrats are completely opposed to each other. Never mind, like a Democrat might have a good idea. Nope, Republicans have to stand against it simply on the basis of principle. And vice versa, Republican might have a good idea, but no, we can't possibly agree with that. Now, if they would switch over and become a Democrat, now we could agree, but nope, we got by principle, we got to stand opposed. That's what Satan is doing. He is opposed to everything God is for. And what is God for? He is for life. God created life in the Garden of Eden. He created humanity. And even after humanity died, Jesus came to give life and give it abundantly. He died for people. So because God is for life, Satan is going to be anti-life. It, Jesus, in describing those who are opposed to God, he calls them thieves. And in John 10, 10, he says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's exactly what we see these demons do. Whether they're trying to steal the joy and life of this man to destroy him, or it's in the pigs where they absolutely kill them and commit this mass murder of these swine. They are anti-life. But the second part of that verse Jesus continues, while the thief may come to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus, the good shepherd, he said that he came to give life and give it abundantly. Jesus, as the king of the kingdom of God, is pro-life. But I want you to realize, when I talk about pro-life, I'm not just saying he is pro-birth or anti-abortion. When I say he's pro-life, he is pro-human. And he's not just pro-human of those who look like him and talk like him and act like him. I want you to realize, Jesus was a fully Jewish man. And he is now in a fully Gentile region. 
at the end of the story, we hear the guy goes back home to the Decapolis. It's these ten little cities in this, in this kind of Greek Hellenistic area east of the Jordan River. He is a Gentile. Jews don't have anything to do with Gentiles. They might engage in a little bit of commerce, but they would never have a Gentile over to their home for dinner. They would never go out and enjoy a sporting event. Their kids do not go to the same schools. Like, Jews have nothing to do with Gentiles. They actually have very racist ideas about these Gentiles. They want nothing to do with them. And what does Jesus, a fully Jewish man, do? He goes and shows the love and grace of God. He shows mercy to this Gentile man because Jesus is pro-life. He's pro-human. Which means, if you claim to be a Jesus follower... You must be pro-life, and I mean pro-human. It means you show the love and grace of God to people who may not have the same race as you, who may not have the same skin color as you, who may not have the same income level as you, who may not have the same political persuasion as you. But if they're human, they deserve your respect, your love, your grace. Now some of us, this is hard. By the way, if, if you're a first-time guest with us, whether online or you're here, I rarely ever get political. And I realize that some of this can get really, really uncomfortable. And I usually don't like preaching about politics because uh, politics is always changing. I want to just preach about Jesus. But this passage, I feel like it forces me. Because I'm convinced that if we are going to be a church that loves like Jesus loved and lives like Jesus lived, we have to get this right. We have to be pro-life. And all you have to do is look at the gospel. God did not demand you believe like he does before Jesus died for you. He did not demand that you become a Jew or clean up your act before he would die on the cross for you. So don't expect it of others. They don't have to believe exactly like you for you to be kind. They don't have to behave exactly in a certain way or, 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 or say certain things. If they're human, the image of God is in them. He loves them, and so should you. Unfortunately, though, not all image bearers have the same sort of respect for their fellow image bearers, and that's what we see next in the story. Pick it up in verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see it. What? What? I'm sorry. Came to see what it was that had happened, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. This, this is crazy. These people in this city, in this region, have been terrorized by this demon-possessed man. They've tried to control him by putting chains and shackles on him, and they can't. The guy's been scaring their children. He's been scaring them. So you would think they would show up and say, thank you. Thank you. Instead, the reaction is a little bit like what we saw last week from the disciples. Last week at the end of chapter 4, we saw the disciples in a boat with Jesus. And as Jesus is asleep, a storm pops up. And it says that they were afraid of the storm. They were afraid for their lives. The waves were overtaking them. They couldn't bail out fast enough. They thought, this is it. We're going to die. They were scared. But then they wake Jesus up. Jesus just simply says, peace. The storm stops. And now it says that they were filled with great fear. They were more scared of Jesus, the one who could stop the storm with a word, than the word of the storm itself. That's what we see here. 
These guys were terrorized by this man. They were scared of him. And yet, when they see him in his right mind, they're now more petrified. That Jesus was so powerful enough, he could kick thousands of demons out of one dude. Now maybe, yes, they were mad that he just ruined their local economy by killing off their livestock. But I sensed that really what it was, they would rather have had this crazy dude running around while they keep their pigs living high on the hog, and yes, that was my weak attempt at a pun, than to see this guy healed and freed. What's so sad to me is that I look around at our world and I see we are just the same. Just this very past week, I have seen videos of people being assaulted. That some of these protests that are going on, they, they've turned into riots. I've seen two separate videos of people either being harassed or actually up outright assaulted. Now, I don't know what happened right before the assault. I don't know if the person actually yelled something racist at these Black Lives Matters protesters. I, I don't know exactly what took place. All I know is certain people resorted to physical violence. They assaulted someone. And then you hear the conservative pundits saying, well, this is proof of how evil the whole Black Lives Matter movement is. And yet this very same week, at the end of the Republican National Convention, some uh, anti-Trump uh, protester is biking down the street. He's yelling obscenities at the top of his lung against President Trump and against his followers. And one famous talk show host can't take it, and he walks up and slugs the guy off of his bike. So you've got the, pro the extreme liberals resorting to a, a, a physical violence, and you've got the extreme conservatives resorting to physical violence. We're really not that different from each other. We act exactly the same. And Jesus is trying to call us to something better, to something different. Because to resort to that sort of violence is showing I'm not pro-life. I'm merely pro-my ideology. I'm merely pro-my way of life. I'm merely pro-my race. I'm merely pro-me. And Jesus instead calls us to something better, to lay down our lives, to take up our cross, to give it all away, to go and follow Jesus. Because what this world needs is not more people convinced their political ideologies are correct. This world needs people who love like Jesus loved and lived like Jesus lived. They need freedom. They need grace. They need the gospel. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I think the end of the story tells you what you are supposed to do. Pick it up there in verse 18. As he, the demon-possessed, I'm sorry, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the demon-possessed man, the man who had been possessed with demons, begged him that he might be with him. And he, Jesus, did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Just for a moment, put yourself in this guy's sandals. I have no idea what his life was like being filled with thousands of demons. Was his world in black and white? Was it like watching a, a, a static-filled TV screen? Was it just constant darkness? Was he not even aware of anything going on? We don't know. But what I do know is that after Jesus kicks them out, they go into the pigs, suddenly this guy can see everything in vivid color. The horror film was done. He's given a happy ending. I don't know about you, but if that was me, you bet I'm getting in that boat with Jesus. 
I will go wherever this guy wants to go. I don't know where I'll get my next meal. I have no idea how I'm going to make it. All I know is I want to be with him. Instead, Jesus says, no, don't get in the boat. Because if you get in the boat, your story stays your story. I want you to go and tell my story. Go home. Go back to this Gentile, Greek-speaking, Hellenistic region east of the Jordan River. Go back to the Decapolis, these ten cities, and you just travel around and tell them what I did for you. Tell them about the mercy you experienced. Why? Because that is the love and grace and mercy that Jesus wants to give everyone. There is nothing more pro-life than you going and telling people about Jesus. Because if Christianity is true, and people really are steeped in their sin, they are separated from God, and so therefore they are spiritually dead. They're in spiritual bondage. And so to go and tell them your story about the gospel, tell them what Jesus has done in you, is the most pro-life thing you could do. Because just maybe their eyes will be opened, they too will decide to follow Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes in and begins that deep work in them of restoring the image of God so that they will love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived, and we will see the world changed. So it's not cruel to go and tell someone about your faith. Now, you don't have to be a jerk about it. You don't have to grab a bullhorn. You don't have to yell in someone's face. You just share your story and let people marvel at the grace of God. Because Jesus is pro-life. He's pro-human. And if you claim to follow Jesus, you need to be pro-human too. And so go, tell people about Jesus so that they can meet this pro-life Jesus themselves. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that your mercy would be upon us. Because some of us in this room, uh, we are guilty of not valuing fellow humans. There are people at work, there are people at school, there are people on the TVs that really rankle us, they bother us, and it is so difficult to show respect to them. It is, it is so difficult to show honor. We want to be the people who yell at them. Sometimes, God, we just confess that we want to be the ones who throw the punch. But Jesus, you call us to something greater because they are trapped in their sin and they need you. So God, I pray that you would saturate us with your love and your grace, that we would be so in awe of you we'd be willing to get in the boat wherever you go or we're willing to go to our Decapolis to our campus to our workplace to our neighborhood to our dorm that wherever we go that your story would be our story so God I pray right now for Riverwood that we would be a church that is pro-life that we would be for people from womb to tomb that we would be the ones who'd stand up for the uh, vulnerable for those that that get overlooked, those who get ignored, those who are being suppressed, that we would be the people who'd rise up and speak up for them because Jesus, you died for them, you love them, your gospel is for them. Lord, help us to transcend above politics, above cultural ideologies, help us to be gospel-centered people, that your love would resonate through us, that we would step beyond politics, step beyond these worldviews, we'd step into your goodness, into your grace, into who you are, and that we would go and represent the I am in everyday life. So God, continue to mold us, continue to shape us, make us more and more like Jesus.
Heavenly Father, I just pray right now for anyone who's here, whether it's in person or online, and they do not know you. They are like the man in the cemetery. They are in spiritual bondage. And they've been trying to break their chains. They've been trying to do these things, but nothing works. And now here they are on a Sunday morning visiting Riverwood, watching this, listening. And Jesus is standing before them. God, would you let them find freedom today? Would you help them to confess their sin? That they would bow their knee before you. They'd be willing to get in the boat with you and go wherever you lead them. Because God, I believe you want to do something great in their life. I don't think that you just had them put on this earth so that they could get a degree and get a job and get a marriage and get some kids and, and just live American dream. I think you put them on this earth to make a difference. Because our world is hurting, it's in chaos, and it needs people who truly love. So God, would you help them right now to cross that line of faith, to become a Jesus follower? Would you just, through your Holy Spirit, lead them in a simple prayer to confess their sin? to declare they know that Jesus died on the cross for them and they now choose to give their life to follow you. God, do in us what you need to so that you can do through us what you need to. Make us a pro-life people. Make us pro-human like you. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.